Okay. So, I always want to ask myself, is this enough? Is this all the light we got? Can't wait to uh, have enough money to redo the lights in here. I have a plan for it. just don't have the cash for it. Uh, so, let's get started. Tonight, we're going to continue with Chapter 1 of the Effective Corporate Kingdom Prayer Series. Effective Corporate Kingdom Prayer is the name of the series. And so those words mean we want to, there is more or less effective prayer. Uh, of course, there's personal private prayer, and there's praying together in groups corporately. Uh, and there's prayer that's this or that directed by kingdom. I'm wanting to say, what are let's, let's pray toward filling the earth with God's glory towards his, his eternal goal to bring his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's actually our theme verse. Our second theme verse is uh, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So that means there is more or less effective prayer. Uh, and then quote number two, I already quoted number one to some of you earlier. Uh, but prayer is a dynamic interplay. That is, it's communication. It's two-way between God and us by where his redemptive kingdom purposes are birthed and established. Um, you look at anything God has done in the history of the world, from social justice issues like abolitionist movements or what have you, um, prayer has been the thing that turned the tide. And uh, it's uh, the more uh, they actually say as a society progresses—that is, progresses—that is declines as a society progresses towards destruction. Um, the society has a tendency to, that more and more people get cynical and more and more people get unbelieving. And we kind of expect that everyone's character is going to be bad and everyone's going to be disappointing us and uh, everyone's going to let us down and whatever. And to, so to have the faith to pray is uh, something that only God can give us. And we're praying that through this series that God will help us uh, become a people of prayer. If, if anything Grace Christian Fellowship has lacked ongoing prayer efforts, and I'm glad that we had the Friday night prayer meeting. It's pretty well attended. Uh, there's a pre-prayer meeting Friday nights at 6.30. We have the Sunday school class at 9.30, but there's a, pre, a, a group of people that pray at 8.30. And, but I, I would love to see those grow to where uh, those prayer meetings are well populated. Now that, uh, again, that, you know, takes uh, some intensity, but um, I pray to God we'll have that. So uh, what we've been doing in chapter one of this series, we, we had an introduction, and the introduction was all the titles and topics that we're going to do. And uh, chapter one is that prayer is a catalyst to visitation. Chapter two is keys to effective prayer. We're going to transition to that within a few weeks. But chapter one is going to have a 1A1, a 1A2, a 1A3, and a 1B at least. I don't know if I'm going to go on to 1C. But uh, we're talking about in 1A3 tonight, we're going to finish up talking about, um, finish up this outline, talking about prayer being a catalyst to visitation. And then um, next week, we'll continue on prayer being a catalyst to visitation, looking at four purposes of group prayer. And possibly, if we have time next week, we'll look at four purposes of private prayer. But uh, for now, um, 
what we've been doing is talking about the last couple of weeks. This is the third week we're talking about prayer being a, an, an effective uh, uh, a key to visit to visitation. So what do we mean by prayer being a catalyst to visitation? Let's talk about a little bit about visitation. Every church, every family, uh, you, if you're discerning enough, you can, cities have this, uh, you know, businesses have this, but every group of people has a spiritual climate about them. And there are times where God is visiting his people where there's a spiritual atmosphere that uh, has high expectations. People are on fire for God. They're hungry for God. They're zealous. And um, there are times when that's not the case. And uh, so what we are praying for is a visitation of God that would give us an atmosphere where prayer becomes no chore at all. It becomes a joy where uh, paying the prices of the kingdom, you know, personal Bible study, evangelism, whatever uh, thing we're involved in becomes something that we do out of our love for God, our passion for God, out of uh, the joy of his spirit. The Bible says that, that we love God because he first loved us. It talks about how the love of God has been poured out through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. One of the things you'll notice when people get baptized in the Spirit, if they go on to stay filled with the Spirit and refilled on a regular basis, is their love for God will go way up. And what we're praying for is, is an atmosphere of visitation. Um, there's so little of that in our country today that I actually kind of want to point you to, a, um, if you ever get a chance, um, one of the things that uh, I enjoyed was uh, I got a chance to go to the International House of Prayer's annual thing they call their One Thing Conference. And it happens, uh, they start one or two days after Christmas every year, and they go all the way through New Year's Eve. But uh, it's grown to, I believe, around thirty or 35,000 people. That When I went to, to it, it was 20,000 people. And on the way back on the plane, we actually met up with a group of people from InterVarsity that were flying back to, which is a campus ministry that's national. And they said that they had uh, their annual meeting during the same week, and they had about seven or 8,000 people at their annual meeting. Or was it more like 14? I forget. A pretty, pretty good number of people. And they decided to actually hook their the two meetings up by satellite on the final evening and worship and pray together for the evening. And, uh, and uh, you know, these people were pretty stirred up. And uh, so there there is kind of a one of the things about zeal and the outpouring of God and an atmosphere of visitation and so forth is it's easier to do with more people. Uh, and frankly, uh, the the quality of each person's walk in a group of people kind of adds up to the, to help or not help the corporate visitation. One of the things we've struggled with as a church is we have purposely, God has brought to us lots of very troubled people at very troubled places in their life. And we have chosen to, to uh, very graciously and patiently invest the things of the Lord and the kingdom in them until they break through and get set free and, and become solid Christians who are always on fire for God. But it's sort of a catch-22 conundrum that we're always up against. And uh, what what I'm praying for right now and teaching these studies for is I'm praying that a group of people 
that somehow God will raise your expectations about his presence, about prayer, about what he intends to do in our midst, so that we'll be on fire more of the time, so that people who are uh, who have been here six months, a year, two years, three years, have that haven't broken thing through in the Lord, will break through in the Lord. We're we're kind of all in this together, where there would become, and and prayer is the is the catalyst. It's the key ingredient to that kind of an atmosphere. You know, there's churches that have a a nice plan and a nice outreach or ministry, and there's churches that are on fire about that. And, you know, we need, if we're going to fulfill one-tenth of what God has in mind for us as Grace Christian Fellowship, we need that kind of a visitation to, to grow and be sustained over time. So that's really, uh, I, uh, without looking at the notes, that's really what we mean by visitation. You know, a catalyst is a key ingredient in, in a chemical reaction and so forth. So we taught on that, especially in 1A1 two weeks ago. Last week, we kind of retaught on that, and then we got into Roman numeral 5 on the back of your page, the seven, uh, seven biblical examples of prayer leading to a visitation. Tonight, I want to... Um, to finish that and go as far as I can with eight famous Bible fasts and their results. So there's a point F under Roman numeral five is actually in both. Uh, it's also point D under Roman numeral six. Um, in other words, it's an example of corporate prayer uh, that, that basically became effective and accomplished something. And so I want to actually start with 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm going to ask everyone to actually turn in their Bibles with me. Uh, You know, stay focused, uh, read this with me, and let's think about this together. Let's engage these texts. Now, this is a long portion of Scripture, and what I'm going to do tonight is, of these eight examples, I'm probably only going to get to talk about two or three. You can study all eight of them just by turning there yourself and saying, God, show me from these Scriptures how corporate prayer with fasting, in the case of the the ones under point Roman numeral six, they were eight famous examples in the Bible where the people of God were up against it every bit as much as we are in our culture. Our culture is, if you if you don't have eyes to see that our culture is falling apart, I, I don't know what could open your eyes to it. Um, there's, there's trouble on every front. The institution of marriage, uh, whatever. You, you know it's troubled. I hope you know it's troubled. Everything is, tr- is broken right now. And we need a visitation of God, and we need some real churches that really have historical, biblical content to emerge and who are uh, not one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord, who are not compromised half the time, who are dedicated, zealous, and on fire, like what we read about in the Bible, like what we read about in various places and times in church histories. So here is just one example. I, I love the Second Chronicles chapter 20. So hopefully you're there. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with the Meunites, came to make war with Jehoshaphat. Then some came and said and, and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming beyond, against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and, and behold, they are... Um, 
in, in Gedi. Uh, and Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, this is so important right there. Look, however, look in the Bible, look to other examples in church history, uh, look to examples in, in just political history. When a nation was threatened with being overrun, being consumed, and so forth, and the first thing they looked to was the strength of man, to, to, to military alliances, to, to beefing up the army, to, uh, to building up weapons or whatever. And what I love about this is um, Jehoshaphat, you know, he basically turns his, he, you know, they're, they're in dire straits. They're, they're in threatened to be totally destroyed as a nation. And he's turned, he calls a fast and says, let's have a prayer meeting. <laughs> you know, I don't think we have many leaders in the world today who would do that. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention, focused his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered to, uh, together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Wow. God bring that to us. Then Jehovah's, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? Art thou not ruler over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand, so that no one can stand against thee. So he starts lifting up praise. Didst thou not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend forever? Now, what he's starting to do here is a type of prayer called intercessory prayer that we're going to study in uh, chapter 3 when we look at five types of prayer. But he's basically reminding God of, his, of the history of God's covenants with his people and the history of God's purpose with the people of Judah. That's really important. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called of my name will hum, will seek my face and, and humble themselves and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Any land could do that. But you have to remind the Lord in your intercessory prayer that we are sinners, we have sinned, we have neglected what we should have done, we have sins of commission, we have sins of omission, and God, remember, you know, uh, you birthed this nation for godly purposes. I'm actually amazed that the Lord continues to be long-suffering and patient with America when you consider how much of our Christian spiritual heritage has been squandered away over the last 150 years to the point where, you know, where the church is a mockery. Uh, uh, Christianity is considered irrelevant uh, yet, interestingly, this tr this country still provides about 80 percent. It's down down, but it you know 70 80 percent of funds for world missions come out of this country and so forth. There's there's some reasons. I don't know what all the reasons why God is being long suffering and patient with us, but we need to we need to pray as a nation that God will have mercy on us. So Jehoshaphat keeps on going. Didst thou not our God drive out the inhabitants of the land? And give it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend. See, the, the Lord had promised that land to Abraham. And these other guys were about were gonna try to take the land. So he reminded God of his of his scriptures, of his covenant promises. That's part of intercessory prayers we'll study. And um 
And they lived in it, that is the land that God gave them, and have built thee a sanctuary there. And now he's he's appealing to uh in first Kings chapter eight, nine, and ten, when 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 Solomon had first had finished building the temple, how they had prayed over the temple and said, Lord, turn when when your na- when your people Israel sin and they turn their ways against you, if they come back here and repent. Uh, hear from heaven and so forth. He's appealing to to the history of, the, of Scripture. Uh, I wish most people knew America's Christian history. Should evil come upon us, uh, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is on this house, and cry to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear us and deliver us. That's in First Kings. It's also in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And behold, now... Now behold, First uh, Kings and Kings and Chronicles, as you might know, overlap a lot of information. And now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom they did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Behold, how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from thy possession, which thou hast given us as an heirs. So what he's reminding God of is God Moses made a covenant that we're going to not wipe out Moab and we're going to not wipe out Ammon on our way to uh, to crossing the Jordan and so forth, and they should repay us by being favorable and kind and, and even protecting our border. But no, they're not. They're now coming to attack us and destroy us when we had it within our power to destroy them 400 years ago and we didn't. You know, you may think this is crazy, but I love, uh, you know, I, I watch certain crazy videos like uh, looking at all the American cemeteries throughout throughout Europe that came as a result of World War II. And, you know, we're getting to the point where this isn't the case anymore. But in lots of cases, there are people who say, you know what, we remember what America did for us. <laughs> we remember what America did when they, you know, uh, when they freed and, and, you know, when, when France was freed and so forth, uh, that's getting to be less and less the case. But the, what these guys are saying is these guys should have remembered that we had it in our power to wipe out the Moabites and the Ammonites and the, and so forth. And, and we didn't, and now they're repaying us by, they're going to come wipe us out. So that's important. If you want to learn effective prayer, one of the things you have to do is learn is under you really have to understand the kingdom of God in such a way that you understand what God is wanting to do in our culture, our society. The Bible talks about the sons of Issachar who were men with knowledge who understood the times to know what Israel should do. And we have so little of that today. Um, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Now, I love that because we've had this long tradition in America of that, that unfortunately, what happens, here's what happens in life. When, when you come to Christ, the average individual is really in a desperate place. They've really messed it all up and uh and you know somehow they're they've messed so many things up that somehow they're able to have a little bit of humility and as they continue to be broken and humbled and confess their sins and repent and so forth god starts to rebuild but little by little we switch to this thing where we're like 
where we start to rely on ourselves again. Lord, I got this. You know, the Proverbs say, you know, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him in every way. Jehoshaphat is acknowledging God. That's his first response when this multitude comes as he says, man, we need to acknowledge God. We need to fast. We need to pray. We need to seek God. That what What's huge about that is that, you know, I remember a big part of American education, the public schools and the state education in the 1960s was all about how America had never lost a war. Well, we tied in Korea. But in 1974, we lost in, in Vietnam. Uh, you know, the whole thing that's going to happen in Iraq right now is the place is going to explode. Now, there's all kinds of things about whether we should have been there or not been there. I don't think we should have been there in the first place. But um, my point is, is simply this. Um, you know, w- what we need big time in this country is we need these words. Our God, we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Um, and all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. What, what's amazing is they humbled themselves. I, I really love, a, there's a book by a lady named Diane West that I love a lot. It's, it's called, um, um, uh, what the heck's the name of that book again? Um, <laughs> um, well, let's not even go there. It's all about how we've we're not growing up anymore and how our arrested development is uh it, it, what's it pardon the death of the grown-up thank you by diane west um she she basically traces from the 1950s on how we've increasingly get more and more grown-ups that are behaving like children and so we have people who are emotionally and relationally and spiritually children raising children and and now we have two and three generations of this and and it's it's a mess and she's actually saying that that it's such a mess that in the end it's threatening our national security which is amazing and that's basically what jehoshaphat is seeing he says lord we are powerless before this great multitude we still think like nothing could harm us as a nation and i don't really want to get into politics i'm you know apply that to your life to your family to your business to your finances to our church we, we think we're so, we got it all together. We really have got to say, Lord, we are powerless before this great multitude. We have got, we have an army of demonic, satanic things coming against our culture. Do you know the average kid is growing up internet pornography addicted? Now, I'm not here to condemn anyone who's struggling with that. I want to see them set free. What I'm saying is, wow, that what mess what makes that such a problem? You know, is that when you start getting into certain kinds of habits and addictions and so forth when you haven't even developed an an adult uh, personality and an adult character and responsibilities, it messes everything up for you. 
you know, drugs, you know, addiction has just become like a part of our whole culture. People are addicted to food. People are addicted to laziness. People are addicted to uh, sexual immorality. We have an addicted culture. Almost everyone you meet has some sort of addiction problem. Uh, you know, we have total skepticism and unbelief, and uh, we couldn't possibly, we, we have a, a narcissism epidemic on our hands. Obviously, it's a mess. I, I hope you could, I, I hope God can open our eyes to how messed up it is. But we need to start here. We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. So, Lord, please help us put our eyes on you. Please. Now, uh, after this, it says, Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Jehaziel, I don't know how it's pronounced. The son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. I love how the Bible kind of really identifies who it was. Yet no doubt what his heritage was. He, he, you know, he came from Levi. He was of the tribe of Levi. He was of the sons of Asaph, who wrote many of the Psalms and some of the Proverbs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, he's a prophet of the Lord, and the Spirit of God comes on him. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley and at the front of the wilderness of Jerul. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourself, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm just looking for some guys who could station themselves and stand, first of all. On, uh, sees the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. That's what we need to first and foremost cry out. We need a church where the Lord is with us in a whole different dimension than we've experienced yet. That's what I'm trying to do with this prayer series. And hopefully people will listen to it on podcast and and get, you know, I emailed a lot of people the outlines today, and uh, hopefully hopefully our prayer meetings will start to grow, but they'll start to grow because people start having a revelation of how to seek the Lord and why we desperately need to seek the Lord. And then it says, uh, you need not fight in the battle. Station yourself, stand and see the salvation of, the, of God. The Lord is with you. And Jeho Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I would love to see worship meetings where people start falling on their face to worship the Lord. Now, we're in kind of a tough spot where we've brought in a lot of brand new Christians in the last year who haven't, many who haven't been baptized in the Spirit yet and so forth. But we need the presence of God to fall. We need the kind of worship where people are repenting and people are getting on their face and where, where it's not just kum si, kum sa, the same thing, but it's, it's an awesome presence of God in our midst. And prayer and fasting is the key to that. Um, so they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem put trust in the Lord their God and uh, put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Jehoshaphat basically tells the people, hey, 
you know, I called for this fast. Uh, we humbled ourselves. God spoke prophetically. Put your put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the word of his prophets, that, that Jehaziel, who prophesied to us. And you'll be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his, his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, who does a battle this way? You know, we're in dire straits, so let's praise and worship the Lord for a while. <laughs> you know, they had real physical enemies who really wanted to ki kill them, and they sent the worshipers into the battle first. That's understanding the power of worship and prayer and, and worship as a type of prayer. It, it's, it's amazing. This is real history, by the way. You know, this is actually documentable and, and from other sources. Um. Well, anyway, uh, they go on, and uh, Jehovah said, uh, and they go out into the battle, and the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely, and then when they had finished with the inhabitants of, of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. That, that's exactly what we need in our day. Does everyone get this? Now, I understand this is a physical battle, uh, but, wow, this is powerful. First um, Samuel seven. I'm not going to turn there. If you, uh, if you'll study that, um, well, I'm trying to figure out which ones to choose so I don't run out of time. Um, well, let's turn to First Samuel seven. Um, while you're turning there, let's talk a little bit about Judges 20. I'm not going to turn there, but that's the under Roman numeral 6a. You have to kind of read Judges. Make a note off to the margin. You have to kind of read Judges 19, 20, and 21 to get the full picture here. But it's a time in Israel's history very like ours. I honestly believe that American history is very, very similar to the book of Judges. We the last really great move of God that really brought about Christian character and, and the depth of real Christianity was probably called, it was called the Great Awakening. It happened about 20 years before our war for independence. Our war for independence would never have happened. Since then, we've had outpourings of the Spirit and awakenings in our country. There was what was called the Second Great Awakening. Of course, there's been the Pentecostal movement, the Charismatic movement. There's been many uh things that have come and, and stirred the church back up and restored the church. But each time it's, we've lost ground. We've lost uh, lifestyle issues. We've lost uh, content issues. Uh, and each time our Christianity has become more and more compromised. It is very similar to the book of Judges, where whenever they cried out to God, God sent a judge and anointed him by the spirit and and he stirred up the nation and saved Israel and so forth. We've had times where God has done great things for us. But as a whole, our character and our darkness just keeps getting worse, and, and our darkness keeps getting darker, darker. And so in Judges 20, there's a very important story to read where... Uh, uh, the um, 
there's there's a guy whose concubine was killed by the the Benjamites and, and so forth. And so Israel is going to go in uh, in in the son the the Gibeonites and uh, Gibeah. Israel is going to go in and uh, discipline this tribe who's done all this wickedness that's really gotten to the border of they've done wickedness on the level of what you would have expected. Uh, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, they've actually raped this woman all night and left her for dead and so forth. And so this priest cuts up the woman into 12 parts and sends it throughout Israel. And he asks all Israel to come and respond. And Israel kind of gets... Uh, like I could have had a V8 moment and, and basically realizes, well, how could we have sunk to, that this kind of thing is happening in our midst? Where, you know, this priest uh, stayed at this guy's house and they wanted to rape him all night. And so they let him rape him, this concubine instead. And, and they ravaged her all night and totally, I mean, totally bizarre wickedness uh, on the kind that we're getting closer and closer to as a country. And so... You know, um, Israel decides they're going to punish the tribe, and they go out in battle. In the first two days, they, Israel loses, even though they have superior numbers by about 10 times. And the third time, they fast and seek the Lord and humble themselves, and they prevail. So look for that as you read, uh, as you read Judges 19 through 21 on your own. Um, let's keep going. Um, I'm trying to decide which other ones to go to. Let's go to Ezra, Ezra chapter 8. Now, Ezra chapter 8, uh, verses 21 through 23. Uh, put, to put it in context, in, in the book of Ezra, you know, Ezra had set his heart to seek the Lord, uh, to study his word, uh, to do it and to teach it in Israel. And God had... Uh, was this is the time of what's called the post-exile, where God is sending Israelites back to to Judah and back to Israel to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And Ezra is part of this overall movement. And um, then they end up running into all this opposition. And if you seek to do anything for God, you're going to run into opposition. But so. In verse 21, he says this, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him, a safe journey for our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops of horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, The hand of God, our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought God concerning this and he listened to our entreaty. So again, read that in some context. Uh, but the fasting and the prayer and the seeking of God turned the tables. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Jonah. Jonah you, uh, is down there, number G. You might, most of you know Jonah's only four chapters, real easy book to read. Uh, you can read it in five, ten minutes. But Jonah is a guy who, unfortunately, one of the problems that happened in Israel over and over and over again was the, the people of Israel were supposed to bring uh, the ways of God, the, the spirit of God, the reconciliation of God, the law of God to the nations around them. 
but Israel increasingly became turned inward and became like many of and we do this in, in the church. We in the church we have a certain kind of culture and and so we don't like, you know, to bring in a lot of people who are big time sinners. We don't want to bring in a bunch of, you know, people who commit sexual immorality every day or involved in drugs or homosexuality or anger management issues or any other kind of train wreck. We like our nice little Christian environment. And so Israel had done this over and over. And so God starts working with Jonah, a prophet, and he says, I want you to go to another nation in called Nineveh, which was, of course, the greatest city in the earth at that time and at the heart of Babylon. And I want you to tell Nineveh to repent. And Jonah actually understands the heart of God so much that he doesn't want to go because he's not in God's heart, aren't one in the same. His heart is prejudiced and he doesn't like the Ninevites and he doesn't like all their atrocities. And he does and he wants them to get the judgment they deserve. So he starts running from the presence of God, and he gets on a ship, and you know the whole story that the God begins to bring a great storm, and they, the men, you know, the men say, hey, who's, who's sin that God's bringing this storm? And they find out it's Jonah, and they throw him over. And uh, uh, Jonah is, you know, the Lord appoints a big fish. It's not a whale, by the way. There are lots of fish that can swallow a person whole. Whales cannot. Their throats are too small. Many fish could say swallow a person without chewing. And uh, in the ocean, there's many types of fish that can swallow a person without having to chew. And so uh, Jonah, you know, eventually he gets vomited up, and that becomes a type of Christ who was three days in the earth, and Jonah was three days in the... But, and Jonah brings uh, a word of a prophetic word to the nations, uh, to, specifically to the most wicked nation, the most powerful nation, uh, the most anti-Christian, anti-Israel, anti-God nation on the earth. And so, um, he, you know, and again, he's a type of Christ because he was three days in the belly of the whale. And Jesus even says that. He says, no sign will be given this generation except the, the sign of Jonah. And Jonah, Jesus died for us. He's three days in the earth, and then he's risen again. And in his name, uh, forgiveness of sins and re reconciliation goes beyond Israel to all the Gentiles, right? So that's exactly what's happening with Jonah. Jonah um, is um, jo Jonah. Uh, when once he spit back up, he goes to Nineveh, and that which he feared happens. He goes walking through Nineveh, which was such a big city that it took him three days to walk from one side to another. And that's true of that of Nineveh at that time period. It would be city, city on a, you know, like a New York City kind of scale in our days. You couldn't walk across it in one day. And he's, you know, basically telling them to repent and seek the Lord and, and all this stuff. But what's interesting is... Jonah was actually hoping they wouldn't receive his message because his heart's not right. He's actually hoping they won't repent. They won't get convicted and they won't turn back to the Lord because he knows the Lord is gracious, slow to anger, and that the Lord is re restoring those who humble themselves and seek him. And that's exactly what Nineveh does. It humbles th themselves so much that they declare a fast. And, it, and it's very clear that they had even the animals fasted from food and drink. 
They didn't even feed their, they had the animals <laughs> join in the fast. That's amazing. And it makes it clear in the scriptures that even the children fasted. So they, they took Jonah so serious. It's amazing that God's word comes to his own people over and over again. And they're like, eh. you know, we, we become so hardened in religion that we, we go to church and, you know, but the words, the, these are totally pagan people hearing the word of God for the first time. And they're among the most wicked kind of people you could ever imagine. And the whole city repents. And uh, actually God spared uh, Nineveh, if, uh, according to history, for about 150 years after that event, when it looked like they were about to be conquered. Uh, they, they, Nineveh goes, goes on for about 150 years. So all I'm trying to say here is the power of corporate prayer and corporate humbling ourselves and corporate fasting. What I'm appealing to Grace Christian Fellowship to do is, is you know, we need extended, not 40 days. We need some extended 40-year period of time where prayer and seeking God and crying out to God to visit us grows and develops and is added to and so forth. Let's see if I can cover one more of these. Of course, Esther, uh, verse number F, most of you people, you know, the book of Esther is really e interesting book in the Bible. Um, if you've never read it, uh, you really should enjoy it. Uh, Esther is the only book of the whole Bible that does not mention the, the name of God at all. And Esther is during the time of what's called the captivity. It's one of the three books uh that's called the post-exile books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, after the exile to Babylon. And so the, the people of Israel are, are living in, um, in Babylon and, and in captivity and so forth. And during the time of Esther, God sovereignly causes this young lady named Hadassah to become, uh, uh, you know what seems totally wicked. He, he the the way the kings the kings would actually have a harem, and they would take the they would send their peop, their soldiers out to find the most beautiful of the women, and then they would choose certain women and and give them beauty treatments and makeup and all this thing. So this happens to a Jewish girl named Hadassah, and uh, you know she has nothing she can do about it. So she's in this harem, and she goes to the beautifying, but she stays loyal to God the whole time. And she stays loyal to her, to her uncle Mordecai. And, uh, God works in his, in his providence in such a way that this, that Mordecai, uh, actually develops an, an enemy named Haman. And Haman is a, is a, is a wicked, um, pagan who, uh, who basically decides that he hates Mordecai and he hates Mordecai's God and the Jewish people so much. And he's advancing in, in the kingdom of uh, Persia at the time so much that he decides that uh, he's going to uh, come up with a plot to wipe out the entire nation of Israel. Well, if you've been, as you, we keep going through this kingdom of God series, you'll see more and more that God's purposes are always in covenant with his people to have his people be the representatives of his kingdom. So if the people of Israel are wiped out, then God's purpose in the earth would be wiped out. The lineage of Christ would be wiped out. And God raises up this young lady, uh, 
Hadassah, who becomes known as Esther. And Esther actually sends a message to her uncle Mordecai, and she leads all of Israel, and and she says, uh, let's seek God and fast for three days. And so Mordecai, all of Israel spreads this message throughout the kingdom of of, uh, Persia, and the Israelites seek God and fast for three days. Now, it looked like, just like many times when the Pharisees and scribes were trying to trick Jesus, it looked like they had all of Israel trapped in a situation that Israel couldn't get out of because Haman had talked the king of Persia into declaring that uh, on a certain day, everyone could wipe out Israel uh, without any penalty, and he had he had sealed it. We remember we talked in recent weeks about sealing. Uh, he had sealed it with his ring. And so it was irrevocable. And, uh, you know, after they fast, read the story for yourself, the whole thing gets turned upon Haman's head. Israel is saved and protected. Uh, Haman is the one that goes to the gallows and and so forth. So um, I guess what I'm trying to do tonight, I'm going to bring it to a close. In Acts 13, you see Saul and Barnabas confirmed in their calling by fasting and prayer. And then they fast and prayer, pray again, and they send them out. And Antioch becomes the model pattern church of, of New Testament Christianity. So all I'm trying to do is, is this. It is very difficult in our day of unbelief, our day of cynicism, our day of lack of, we're not very diligent or disciplined in our culture. It is very difficult to get a body of people to become a, brain, a praying body of people. And I'm not after some stir up our people to get good results in one or two weeks. I'm after stirring up our church for for one, two, 10, 12, 15 years to become the kind of people that this would grow into, not some little struggling inner city church, but uh, that this would grow into a very deep, well-founded, well-taught, lots of people of character, lots of people of biblical knowledge, lots of people of zeal, strong marriages, strong families, kids that are coming to Christ, uh, good fathers, uh, good mothers, uh, effective campus ministry where there's many people coming to the Lord through the campus ministries, and those camp- those leaders would go on to have good marriages and lots of weddings. I'm, I'm at, crying out to God that we would get a big vision. And that that vision would motivate us to where a second and third tier of leaders would start to give themselves to the intense process of seeking God, praying, praying corporately, studying, uh, saying no to so many temptations of our culture, entertainment all the time, sports, recreation all the time, always the whatever. There's so many things you can do in our culture that are really not that eternally important. I'm praying that we'll become a people devoted to things that are eternally important. Amen.